Good evening, everyone. Oh, that's loud. <laughs> uh, thank you, Glenn, for leading us. Uh, if you have a Bible, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 1, I think it's page 1025 in those red pew Bibles. Uh, Christmas is a season of surprises. And uh, in the seasonal story that we're going to look at tonight, there's a pretty big one, a pretty big surprise right at the heart of it. Uh, for the past three Sundays, We've been looking at the stories of eight women who are directly connected to and associated with the birth and coming of Jesus, the Christmas baby. And so far, we have looked at these five women, Tamar and Rahab. And then last Sunday night, we looked at Eve. We thought about Christmas in Eden. And then if you were out this morning, we, we looked at both Ruth and Uriah's wife, which we know was Bathsheba. Tonight is one of the more obvious women who are linked to and related to the birth of Jesus. It's a woman whose life is actually almost over by the time we meet her. She's a woman who appears on the pages of Scripture very near the end of her life. She is a woman who has spent most of her earthly life in kind of relative or total obscurity as far as we're concerned, but then she kind of bursts onto the scene to make a significant contribution in the greatest story ever told. And, and if nothing else this evening, this is a story that reminds us that we're never too old to begin a brand new adventure with God. It's our time to do great things for God's never up. There is no kind of used by dates stamped in our lives as far as God is concerned. And in the kingdom of God, age really is just a number. And the other thing that we quickly discover from this woman's story is that whenever we least expect it, or maybe whenever we have lost hope or we've written certain dreams off, God sometimes steps in and surprises us and surprises everyone around us and turns our world upside down. And so if nothing else, never lose hope because you never know what's around the corner. The sixth woman we're going to look at tonight is Elizabeth. And so please, as we do here at Windsor, let's stand for the public reading of God's surprising word. So this is Luke chapter 1, and we're starting at verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old, down to verse 24. After this, his wife, Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and for five months, she remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. As soon 
As the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Then verse 57. And when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up, and Elizabeth said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, but there's no one among your relatives who has that name. They made signs to his father to find out what he would name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened, and his tongue was set free, and he began to speak, praising God. Grab a, grab a seat. This is a, this is a relatively familiar story, but there are kind of aspects of Elizabeth's life that I want to home in on, I want to draw attention to, and I kind of want to use as springboards, if you like, to challenge our own lives and maybe our own thinking. So let's journey through this story together. The first thing that we discover about Elizabeth concerns her family background. We read that she is a descendant of Aaron. Now, Aaron is the older brother of Moses. He's three years, or he was three years older than Moses. He was the spokesperson, you'll remember, during the liberation of the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt, and he goes on to become Israel's first high priest. And, and therefore, Elizabeth, whenever we read that she's a descendant of Aaron, we discover that she comes from a priestly line. This, this is a lady with a rich family heritage. And I've no doubt that that family and her family influenced and shaped her to some extent, because families do that, don't they? And Christmas is traditionally a time for family. And so even as we get into this, I want to just take a moment to think about your family, to think about your family background, your upbringing, the influence that your family have had in your life, and how your family has shaped you to be the person you are today. Elizabeth was shaped by her family. But then Dr. Luke, who's writing this, divulges something about Elizabeth as a person. So he tells us about her family background, but then, then he tells us something about her as a person. And so we're immediately almost given an insight into her inner life, into her character. And so although we don't meet this woman until relatively late in her life, we very quickly in the space of one rather short sentence, we discover the kind of life that this woman has lived up until now. Look at verse six, it's on the screen. Both of them, that is Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. That, that says it all. Certainly says a lot in a very short space of words. Elizabeth was righteous. She was upright before God. She was upright in the sight of God. You see, as God looked, as God looked in at Elizabeth's life, he was pleased. 
because he saw integrity. He saw devotion, he saw substance, he saw authenticity. And people can look righteous, they can look upright in the eyes of others, they can look good on the outside, they can look right, they can even do right externally, but we all know that as much as we look on the outside, God looks on the heart. He sees past the exterior, which means that always, always the issue is the state of in here. Elizabeth, it says, was upright, was righteous in the sight of God. God saw beyond. God saw the heart of the matter, which is the matter of the heart. I'm becoming boring, aren't I? You see, in God's sight, Elizabeth was a righteous woman. And so my question tonight, as a question I often ask is, how is your heart? How is your heart tonight? How would you and I be described in the sight of God? Secondly, Elizabeth lived the life. Her, her faith, if you like, was evident for all and any to see. And we discovered it was marked by obedience because it says she observed, and I love this, she observed all the commands. Or in another translation, she was careful to obey all the commands of the Lord and decrees or regulations blamelessly. Now that doesn't mean she was sinless. Just means she was fully committed. It also means something else and we'll get back to that, but this was a woman who practiced her faith. For this woman, it was more than words. Let me, let me show you the ESV translation of that verse because it actually captures this even better. And they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Walking in the Bible, whenever, whenever we read that people walked with God, it, it's often and always really used to describe how a person lived. It was about their lifestyle. And therefore, Elizabeth wasn't just a woman who kind of talked a good game. This was a woman, along with her husband, who walked it out. She practiced what she professed. It was life as well as lip. And again, there is a very real challenge here for us because as the Apostle John reminds us, and we quote this verse often, but those of us who claim to live in God, says John, you must walk. You must live as Christ lived. It's got to be seen in our lives, in our lifestyles, in our practice. How we walk, how we live really does matter because confessed faith without demonstrated deeds is virtually lifeless, as another apostle would dramatically confirm. So what we claim to believe has got to be visible in how we live. Words, yes, but actions as well. Elizabeth walked blamelessly, fully committed, lived it out in everything. Her life spoke volumes. Second question tonight, not just how's your heart, how's your walk? How's your walk? But the other thing that Dr. Luke wanted to communicate via using the word blameless is connected to what he tells us about Elizabeth in the very next stroke of his pen. Verse seven, look at it with me. But they were childless. 
because Elizabeth was unable to ha- was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Do you know in that culture, infertility and disability were considered a direct judgment on sin that had obviously been committed by that person or somebody within their family. And so Luke's use of the word blameless or walking blamelessly was in part designed to tell everyone and us included that Elizabeth's barrenness was not as a result of her sin. And so he says she walked blamelessly. It's not that she was perfect, she was fully committed, but she was not barren because of something she'd done wrong or something someone in her family had done wrong. It's similar to what happened in John chapter nine where in response to the disciples asking, you see this blind man, is, has he been born this way because his parents sinned? And Jesus turned around and said, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then what does Jesus do? He goes on to perform a work of God in this person's life and he opens the blind man's eyes. Elizabeth is barren, but it's not because she or anyone else sinned. Plus, as we all know, the miraculous works of God are about to be displayed in her life. But that's rushing ahead. Now, not only is Elizabeth not able to have kids, But as we read there, she was also way too old, even if she could have them. And again, as part of that culture and environment, never having children would have been very difficult for a woman. There would have been a stigma attached to it, not just to do with the whole idea of judgment because the sin had been committed, but just not being able to have children would have brought a stigma on many women in that culture. It would have been a sign of shame, a sign of failure, And if we're in any doubt how Elizabeth felt or how she was made to feel about her situation, look down at verse 25. Because there we realize that not being able to have children meant that Elizabeth says, and this is what she herself, these are in her own words, Elizabeth says that she lived with disgrace amongst her own people. That is strong. And so this was a huge burden for this woman to bear. A heavy burden. To go through the majority of your life feeling disgraced. That's how she felt. Discredited. Living under a cloud. Humiliated. That must have been really tough. And do you know something? They prayed about it. Or at least Zechariah did. Look, Look up at verse 13. We didn't read it together. But in verse 13, the angel who comes to Zechariah said, your prayer has been answered. That is relating to your desire to have children. And so this was obviously something that Zechariah had been praying, and we can assume that Elizabeth had been as well. They'd been praying about this for this for years and years and years with no hint of an answer. And no chance of an answer now, given their age and stage of life. And yet... What all of this reveals is a further insight into the true character of Elizabeth. Because although she must have been devastated by her situation, confused by her circumstances, what do we read? She remained righteous, obedient, blameless. And at this late stage of her story, she had no idea what was about to break. She had no clue about what was gonna happen. And so her resilience and her commitment in the context of bitter disappointment and unanswered prayer remains a very real challenge. And so here's another question for you. How do you cope 
when things don't turn out the way you hoped? How do you cope when things don't turn out the way you thought they would? When plans don't come together, when dreams are never realized, when your prayers are never answered, when circumstances seem so cruel and unfair, how do you cope? This was a woman who remained righteous and obedient and walked it out blamelessly even carrying all of that, living with disgrace. It's powerful. I'm not for one moment suggesting we should just suck it up and get on with it, whatever it happens to be, or that it doesn't matter, or that it's not that bad. All I am saying is here's a woman, a remarkable woman, who didn't allow her circumstances, didn't allow her lot in life to define her nor destroy her faith. And then it happens, or at least the prospect does. Zechariah receives a word, a word from an angel that Elizabeth is now gonna have a baby boy. And Zechariah has two immediate responses. And both of them are perfectly understandable. One of them turns out to be unfortunate. Quite discouraging. So the first response, he's terrified. We read that he's gripped with fear, and and who wouldn't be? But secondly, he questions the divine word. Challenges it, quite honestly, he doesn't believe it. And again, you could argue, who would have believed that? Who wouldn't respond as Zechariah did? How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and I love this. My wife is well on in years. And what we quickly discover is that because of his response, because Zechariah didn't believe, he struck dumb for nine months. Zechariah's track record up to this point, he was righteous. He was obedient. He was blameless. Now it takes a hit. But what about Elizabeth? Well, according to Dr. Luke's narrative, there's no indication of unbelief on her part, nor even surprise. The only response that we read of Elizabeth or from Elizabeth is this, the Lord, this is what she says, the Lord has done this for me. There's gratitude and there's worship and there's acceptance and there's adoration. There's incredible trust and belief. But there's an interesting little detail, although it's, it's not really that little, that I've, I hadn't noticed before. We read it in verse 24 as part of her response. It says, for the first five months of her pregnancy, Elizabeth kept herself hidden. She remained in seclusion, is how the translation I read from reads. And here's my question to you, why? Why? Discuss. Why did Elizabeth shut herself off, go into lockdown, solitude for five months? Like like the minute you discovered you were pregnant at this late stage of life, 
given all the years of disgrace that you have suffered, wouldn't you want to tell everyone as soon as possible? Wouldn't you want to shed it from the rooftops? Wouldn't you want to upload the first scam picture onto social media? But for the first 22 weeks out of 40, she goes into lockdown. Why? I have no idea. I honestly don't. And very few people do. It's really interesting. Read all the comments, lots of commentaries. Very few people know why. So here's one possible explanation. If Elizabeth had gone public from day one, or early on, let's be honest, who would have believed her? Given her history, it was known that she was unable to conceive. Given her age, she is very old. Given all of that, if Elizabeth had come out and confirmed that her and Zechariah were expecting a child, how do you think people would have reacted? How do you think? Would they not have heaped further humiliation on her? But you see, if she leaves it for five months, 22 weeks, until she really begins to show that she's pregnant, Maybe that would have silenced everyone and avoided more ridicule. So she goes into lockdown. I don't know. And if you want to suggest another explanation, please chat to me afterwards. Well, let's go back to her story. Because there's three more things about this woman that I want to highlight. And the first of the three things and there's number, is, is her humility. Because we read that meanwhile in, in Nazareth, Mary has received news that not only is she pregnant with Jesus, the son of the most high, and that's for next week, but Mary is also told, you know your relative, Elizabeth? You know your really old relative who is unable to conceive a child? She's pregnant. And not only that, what Mary's told is, your relative, Elizabeth, is six months pregnant. And so Mary immediately packs up and she heads straight for Elizabeth's house. And when she arrives and greets the expectant parents, Elizabeth immediately turns around and expresses and demonstrates humility in three ways. To start with, she acknowledges that Mary is more blessed than any other woman, including her. Do you know this New Testament idea that in humility consider others better than yourself, it rings true here. Elizabeth puts Mary first. Secondly, Elizabeth is genuinely gobsmacked that Mary would travel 90 miles to visit her. Look at verse 43. She can't get over this. Why am I so favored? She says that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Why are you here? Why visit me? Humility. Even though something major has happened in her own life, Elizabeth is surprised that her relative has come to her. And thirdly, there, there's no hint of rivalry or jealousy. Remember, Elizabeth's miracle boy is going to serve Mary's miracle boy. He, Elizabeth's boy, is going to be a forerunner. He's going to be the one preparing the way. He's going to be the one pointing to Mary's boy. He's going to be the one that must decrease so that Mary's boy will increase. And Elizabeth knew that, or some of that, or some form of that, 
from what the angel told her husband. But there's no competitive, there's no comparative spirit on display. Elizabeth's humility again shines through. And as we know from the rest of Scripture, God exalts the humble. He gives grace, is what God's Word says, to the humble. And so here's another question for you this evening. How's your humility levels? How's your humility levels? Two more aspects of Elizabeth's life to highlight. First is, this is a woman who was filled with the Holy Spirit. Chronologically, Elizabeth is the first person in Luke's gospel to be filled with the Spirit of God. At least she's the first lady, or should I say the first adult. And the reason I'm saying that is because according to the angel, the baby boy that is growing inside of Elizabeth was in fact, and this is truly mind-blowing, the baby boy that was growing inside of Elizabeth was full of the Holy Spirit. Look at the end of verse 15. And he, that's John, will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. How do you get your head around that? So John in Elizabeth's womb is strictly speaking the first person in Luke's gospel to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is a fascinating thought. We all know that God knits us together in our mother's womb. Psalm 139 makes that really clear. But to also know that a person can be filled with the Holy Spirit before they leave the amniotic sac. Is that not a truly wonderful thought? Have you ever thought about that before? What does that say? What does that tell us? What does that communicate? God can meet us, change, transform us as a fetus. Fetus John is the first person filled with the Holy Spirit. Further reflection on that is surely necessary. But as mom Elizabeth's a close second, verse 41 tells us that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it says she comes out with those inspired, those often described prophetic words from verses 42 to 45. And so here is a woman who is a spirit-filled believer. It's challenging. Where or how is the evidence of the Holy Spirit apparent in your life right now? And I want to finish by just reaffirming her obedience because when Elizabeth's pregnancy is over, a baby boy is born. And eight days later, as we read, he's due to be circumcised and then he's due to be named. That's how it worked in that culture. And it becomes clear that all the neighbors and all the relatives assume, well, he's going to be called Zachariah. Just, he's going to be named after his dad, isn't he? But Elizabeth immediately speaks up and says, no, he's not. No, he's not. He's going to be called John, and everybody is so confused. There's nobody called John in your family. Why John? And so they turn to Zachariah, and he, he still can't speak, and so they hand him some form of writing tablet, and he confirms, or he writes, or he scribbles, yeah, 
The boy is going to be called John. He should be called John. And at the moment that he writes that he should be called John, his tongue is loosened and he's able to speak again. But you know something? If it hadn't been for Elizabeth's intervention, listen, says Elizabeth, God told us, the angel of the Lord told us to call him John. So we're going to call him John. If it hadn't been for Elizabeth's obedience, the boy would have been called after his dad. And who knows if Zechariah would ever have spoken again? And who knows if the story had ever, would have ever panned out the same. So I need to stop. Elizabeth's another great woman of Advent who plays a significant role and part in the first Christmas story ever. And, and having revisited some of her story tonight, we've highlighted these aspects of her life as potential personal challenges for each of us. So here we go. Elizabeth was righteous. She was righteous in the sight of God. She was upright before God. God saw beyond the outward appearance. God saw the true Elizabeth. He saw her character. He saw her inner landscape. He says, you're righteous. I can see you're upright. And so how's your heart tonight? What does God see as he looks at your life and mine? Secondly, Elizabeth walked her faith out. She lived it out blamelessly. She was obedient to all of God's ways over many, many, many years, actions and words. So how's your walk? And Elizabeth lived like this, even in the midst of difficulties and disappointments and despite disgrace. So how do we cope when life doesn't seem fair and our prayers aren't answered? Elizabeth trusted in, believed God's word, even though it made no sense, it seemed so unreasonable. And so I suppose the question I want to ask is, how, how are you hearing and responding to God's word at the moment? Elizabeth demonstrated humility. She put others first. She played second fiddle. How's your attitude tonight? And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he inspired her. And so how is the Holy Spirit evident in your life right now? I trust that we can take away and learn something new and fresh from this sixth woman of Advent, because hers is a story of hope at this time of year. Are you gonna lead us at the end? Great.